Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi there and welcome to Creative Matters. This is episode 35. Today I'm talking to Jenny McLeod. Jenny is a contemporary glass artist from Auckland, New Zealand. She creates high-quality original glass works, including functional glassware, sculpture, garden art, installation and exhibition work. She enjoys using glass for a modern environment in a non-fragile way. Her two six-cubic-foot kilns in her workshop at home give her the control required to fuse and slump cut and layered sheet glass. A lot of her work is mixed media, incorporating a variety of materials including concrete, resin beads, wood, pumice, shells and a New Zealand native fibre harakeki or flax. Jenny enjoys working with all these materials as, and is inspired by their natural beauty and quality and the unlimited possibilities of combining them with glass. Her Fitianga farming upbringing on the Coromandel Peninsula in New Zealand Nature and the South Pacific provide constant reference points and inspiration for her work. You can see her work on our blog at creativematters.co.nz and also, of course, on her website, jmcleodglass.co.nz. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Welcome to Muriwai. Thank you. It's lovely to see you and welcome to Creative Matters. Thank you. I have always loved your work. I think I first saw your work years ago, actually, and it's just completely up my visual alley. (laughs) That's nice to hear. (laughs) If there's such a thing. Um, So, yeah, I'm really, really excited to hear all about your process and practice. So, um, yeah, welcome to Creative Matters. Good. Thank you for having me. Okay, Jenny, let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us where you were born and um, what kind of childhood you had? Sure. Uh, I was born in Thames. And I grew up on the Coromandel Peninsula uh, in small town Wadianga on a dairy farm. So, yeah, quite a, quite a country, small town, uh, but beautiful place. Mm, yeah, beautiful spot. And what were you like as a child? Were you, were you creative and thinking creatively at that time? I don't think I was, really. Um, it's hard work on a dairy farm, and my parents worked really, really hard, and uh, we did a lot of beach activity and fishing and all of the farming activities as well. But I don't really remember being creative as a kid. As such, we just kind of didn't have time for that sort of thing, it almost seemed mm. like. Um, possibly the art stuff didn't happen until high school, I reckon, mm. and I was quite good at art during high school and yeah kind of happened from there Mm, yeah it's quite it's quite often the way isn't it it certainly was with me as a child I hadn't really discovered anything creative at that time so what were you looking at at high school um I did I did a lot of you know I did school C and sixth form art and 
when I left school, there's not a lot of job opportunities in a small town like that. So when I left school, I got a job at the local bank because there wasn't much else. You either went to the fish factory or, uh, you know, and I worked in the, the BNZ for a year when I left school. And then I wanted, I needed a ticket out of town by that stage. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I applied to Elam. And I also applied to uh, what was then Carrington Polytech for a craft and design course. And I didn't get into Elam and I got into the craft and design and moved to Auckland when I was 18. So, yeah. And what made you decide that that's what you wanted to do? Um, I'm not really sure. I just really wanted to leave Wadianga and uh, I, I sort of... I did fancy myself as a painter in the back of my mind. Um, I am related to a very famous contemporary New Zealand artist, my mother's sister, uh, who we're very close to is Gretchen Albrecht. So we did have a glimpse of um, a contemporary artist's life growing up. And so I did know that was possible. Mm. Uh, But as I say, I didn't get into Elam, but it, you know, the craft and design thing um, opened up a whole lot of exciting adventure for me first moving to Auckland and I did four years at Carrington Polytech. The first two years was a craft certificate which basically meant we tried all different mediums we did. We had to do some compulsory um, things like life drawing but we did blocks of work jewellery, a lot of fibre art, screen printing, felting, Uh, we did jewellery, we did ceramics and there were blocks of glass making in those first two years that kind of was interesting and cool. Mm. So in my second two years, uh, which was the craft and design diploma, I majored in glass and yeah, the fusing we did we did do a tiny one little turn at glass blowing and we did a block with Anne Robinson for glass casting and I had another tutor called Lindsay Handy who was the fusing tutor. I loved her. She was such a wonderful woman and the fusing just kind of ticked a lot of boxes for me. It was it was quicker than the glass casting, you know, the process of making was quicker and sort of ticked with my brain a bit more because I could see, I I enjoyed the process more, that the glass casting involved other materials like clay and wax and I I wasn't so fussed on that. Plus there was a lot of hand finishing to finish your product after the casting process. So the fusing was was the one for me mm, so just yeah it did and then also having that connection with a person yes probably yeah helped as well. yeah and she was wonderful she was so wonderful and in my fourth year I was the only fourth year glass student so that had uh, benefits and drawbacks really because I was left to my own devices a lot to do whatever I wanted uh but also there wasn't a lot of help because there was no full-time glass tutor by any means. There was only little windows of structure. Uh, so, but yeah, 
I actually ended up graduating with uh, distinction. So, wow. um, yeah. That's amazing. So, and in that fourth year, did you start to really sort of find your way and, and sort of start to develop your own practice? Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. Um, I think I was, I was more, I, I focused quite a bit on functional glassware in the early days. And uh, when I first graduated from Polytech, I applied for a QE2 arts grant and I got an emerging artist uh, grant for $3,000, which back then was actually quite a lot of money because mm. uh, it was 1992 when I graduated and that money was specifically granted to buy my first electric kiln. So that was really exciting wow. to have the machine to create the work. Mm. So it was quite a commitment to actually have that uh, hooked up when I was flatting, you wow. know, in Auckland, because <laughs> yeah. it cost quite a lot in to sort 20s. all that out. Yeah, yeah in my 20s. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was exciting. Yeah. And that was the first kind of commitment to knowing that's where I wanted to go, you know. Mm. And I had a lot of part-time jobs, you know, in the early days to help me survive and pay the rent. I had heaps of night jobs, data entry and supermarkets and the movies. I worked at the movies for like seven years or something at night so I could make glass during the day. Oh, that's so great, yeah. isn't it? So you, when you actually were at Polytech, did you think, right, I'm going to be a full-time artist, I'm going to make it happen? I'm not sure if I thought that. I guess I must have thought that because once I'd secured that money to buy my first kiln, there was kind of no turning back, it felt like, for me, you know. And it's actually a great way to start your career, to have that. It's almost like making you accountable Yeah. to make yeah, it happen. Yeah, absolutely, and I hadn't done that four years of study to just then do something else, you know what I mean? When when in the first year of Polytech, I think there was something like 18 students all locked in for the same year as me. And by the time I graduated four years later, we'd whittled down to, I think there was only six, six of us or something that graduated after the full, you know, the wow. full four years. And it's such a great course, isn't it? I mean, oh, it was oh, amazing. I would love to looking do back, like that yeah, now. looking back now, it was like it was the funnest four years of my life, probably, yeah. because you've got that freedom to not freak out about the cost of any of it. I mean, you know, we had to obviously pay to do the course, but for materials and the tutoring and the, you know, the help. And mm. everything, and and just the wide variety of people that I encountered after coming from such a small town, you know, was so exciting mm. to yeah. be in Auckland, you know, and just being surrounded by like-minded people of various ages, you know, men and women, and very broad kind of backgrounds. Mm. So it was cool. And so motivating, hey? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So um, what kind of things were you making at that time, Jenny, once you actually left Polytech and, and started working during the day? I was making a lot of functional glass. I made a huge range of plates and bowls and big platters, and I made a lot of functional glass for many, many years. That was my main thing. I didn't do a lot of sculpture in the early days. It was all about functional glass, and they were products that I could sell because it 
it pretty much came down to trying to survive and make a living, even though I had part-time work to supplement my income. Mm. Um, and what yeah. was that functional glass like? I mean, was it were you imprinting it or what were you doing um, with it? I did a, ra- a range of um, ways of my technique is fusing. So I'm using sheet glass and I'm cutting out shapes with a glass cutter from sheet glass and I can do various things in an electric kiln by layering uh, the sheet glass that I've cut, which will then go hot enough to fuse together, which is why the process is called fusing. Right. But there's sort of various things that you can do at the same time in the kiln. It's it's very much uh, layering and arranging the glass on the kiln shelf and then closing the door and setting uh, setting the temperature uh, so there's no hands-on manipulating while it's hot, which a lot of people would be confused with the, you know, there's a lot of different processes in glass making. When you say you're a glass artist, people automatically presume that you'd be a glass blower, which is, you know, using molten glass in a furnace, which is completely different to what I'm doing. So to make the functional plates, I had, yeah, layered cut and layered and in the early days I quite often put things in between the layers metal I used a lot of copper uh, thin thin copper that I could kind of cut into shapes and I could draw sort of lines and patterns on patterns on the copper and then trap those in between layers and they'd go beautiful colors and Mm. still look quite coppery and cool Mm, I also did uh, I used some wire and Various sort of types of wire works, some of it works better than others. There's always a lot of experimenting, even now, you know, nearly 30 years later, I'm still doing experiments. Mm. Uh, but I wound sort of little wire spirals into patterns and put them in between layers. Wow. And I also used and still use uh, a sort of a pumice sand, which I can sp- Spread on the kiln shelf directly and hand draw a pattern into, and then lay the glass sheet that I've cut onto that sort of gently, and it will during the firing go hot enough to sink into that pattern, and then afterwards uh, that brushes off, and you're left with a very organic kind of, you know, you you can't do anything particularly intricate. But a subtle, mm. you know, kind of sand drawn kind of imprint, yeah. if you like. Beautiful. Yeah. And then most things are fired in the kiln more than once. So the first part of the process is the fusing. So that's the joining of layers, soft, and it's gone hot enough to sort of soften the edges and perhaps sink into that design. And then, so that's still a flat item once that part of the firing has has been completed and then often uh, for a plate for example that would go back into the kiln for a second firing not not as hot on the second firing so it would retain that beautiful smooth edge and the pattern that's been obtained in the first part of the process and then the second part the second firing is called slumping so that's basically bending the glass Uh, so not as hot and depending on the item sometimes I would slump into a ceramic mold 
to get the three dimension of a you know a physical plate or sometimes you would slump over um, perhaps a ceramic mold or sometimes uh, I use a ceramic fiber which is sort of like a soft woolly stuff it's like the stuff that they line the kiln with it's like a cotton woolly looking stuff and you can cut that into shapes and it's literally just for the glass to slump over so you could do an internal shape for example and then slump over that and there's various different temperatures in the kiln normally I would fire about three shelves of pieces at a time because my kilns you know it's quite quite big mm-hmm so, and then there's heat sort of differences in temperature in, within the kiln. So, on the bottom shelf is slightly cooler, and the top shelf is really hot. So, I've sort of always have to develop things that will go in those different parts of the kiln mm. for those firings. So, how does the heat affect what happens to the glass? Yeah, it 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 affects things quite a lot from the top to the bottom of the of the kiln. So. Normally, everything I want to make should go in the middle, <laughs> but to make it viable for, you know, cost and everything, I need to fill the kiln before I'd, I'd do the firing. So that's part of the fun is to, in my mind, you know, think of other ideas for the hardest part of the kiln, which is the top shelf, the mm, hottest one, mm. because going too hot can create various problems. You know, things can stick and things can go too too melted or too kind of slumped over something and then it's, you know, your edges pull in or, you know, there's a lot of technical issues with glass. It's a very slow process for heating up and cooling down and, uh, I'm not particularly good at the technical uh, side of things. I tend to use the same firing schedule for virtually all of the things I make. And I've I've learnt to kind of just work within those boundaries because when you start changing things, pieces crack mm. and break. Mm. And after a certain amount of work, that can be, you know, Devastating, devastating to yeah, yeah I can but even still now after nearly 30 years sometimes you open the kiln and mm, hasn't mm. gone quite as planned yeah <laughs> and do you ever have it that I mean there's so much to talk about with your process which we'll get on to other things as well but do you ever um, get something out and something's happened unexpected and becomes sort of a happy accident or absolutely you yeah. know that's that's one of the wonderful things about my job is even when you think you know what you're doing, there is often a happy accident or things don't go quite as expected. And I use a lot of recycled glass uh, and all different glasses have different melting points. And depending on the colour or the, you know, some some glasses, like I've, I've used some glass out of, uh, you know, like a modern high-rise building which has a reflective sort of coating on one side and because I've obtained some materials for free it's quite fun to do an experiment because it doesn't matter Mm. you know if it doesn't work and you know a lot of glasses are certainly not very good for fusing but other glass that you might not realize actually can come out amazing Mm. I got given a whole big lot of sheets of quite thick six small glass that had a, 
uh, a coating on one side that I couldn't really tell what it was, but with a few experiments discovered it was so beautiful when I fired it, the, the coating side down onto the kiln shelf, traps it there. Uh, whereas if it's up the other way, it can burn off because, you know, we're using quite high temperatures mm. going up to about 850 degrees in the electric kiln, which is, you know, glowing molten hot. And, yeah, it's it's fun. Mm, sounds so fun. Yeah, well, we'll talk about your materials and, you know, the actual glass and where you get it in a minute as well. But I'd just like to go back to um, to the beginning of your practice, I guess. So you started with the functional um, glassware and then how did you kind of evolve from that to starting other sculptural work uh, I think it kind of automatically led to that I think uh, you know I went to all sorts of galleries and exhibitions and I was always I, you know I wanted to be a serious contemporary artist you know I didn't necessarily want to just be a mass production kind of functional glass maker necessarily back in the 90s, you know. So I did want to be a serious artist and I, you know, I applied for various competitions and, um, you know, events and what have you. I, I got one piece of work accepted into the RFC Glass Prize in Australia, which was a really big deal. And I travelled with a couple of my fellow glassmaking friends who had also been accepted in that year. I think it was like 1996 or something like that. So I was, you know, only maybe five years out of out of graduating and it was, it was exciting. Mm. I'd made a big... Um, hanging sort of a curtain type thing out of a lot of glass star shapes that I'd linked together with flax that was suspended from uh, a steel rod and that was possibly the first kind of start of me creating more sculptural work out of multiple components Mm. you know I quite enjoy making the same shape over and over, and while I'm doing that, I'm thinking about how I can put those together. Mm, you know, so I love linking things yeah. into various groups. Mm. You know, and so how did that you was, come up yeah. with that idea at that time? Because that was kind of a new thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure how really. It just kind of happened. Uh, you got an idea. Yeah, I got an idea, and just uh, I made a huge amount of star shapes with my fusing uh, right from the start because it was, you know, you're cutting out four triangles of sheet glass and arranging them so that you get a hole in the middle. And they join. And they join and you can't, depending on, you know, where they are in the kiln and how hot it is, sometimes you can obviously see the four separate triangles even though they've gone hot enough to join together. But, you know... If if you get it hot enough, you can you get this beautiful star shape with the hole. That's the whole shape is turned round and mm. and as the edges are beautiful and you know melted and and soft. So because of that hole, I guess it made me think right. I could thread those up somehow, mm. and that was the beginning. And of that, that was the beginning journey. of that. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah, that was the like wow. the first probably yeah and- maybe twenty years I. 
if I wanted a hole in glass, I had to create it during the firing, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, and um, yeah. just a question about those stars. Why don't you just do cut out a star shape? Uh, or is it to it's, get the uh, you can't really cut out a star shape. If, if, you, if you think about how you use a glass cutter, uh, when you're actually cutting a piece of sheet glass, you have to do a score line on the glass and then you press it and that cut runs. So as that score line, when you've pressed on it, it carries on to the nearest edge, if ah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you can't actually cut a star shape right. out of a sheet because that continuous run would run across and, ah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Do you get what does yeah, that make sense? And so you, you do the score line on the glass, and then mm. what, what's the cutter? What does that look like? How does uh, that work? It's sort of just like a like a pen kind of looking thing, and it has a little tiny diamond wheel on the end, but it's just yeah, like the size of a, a pen kind of thing that you have to put quite a bit of pressure, and you need a steady a steady kind of pressure, and you can hear it as you as you make the score line. It makes kind of a scratchy noise. And you've got to go from edge to edge, basically, mm. because then when you press the line where you want the cut, uh, that's what the happens. So, yeah, cuts. you can't And then do cut. you put something underneath the glass to, like, to raise it slightly so uh, it can No, cut? although you kind of – I do have a f- – I have actually a couple of layers of cardboard on my workbench just for a little bit of give when I'm putting the pressure on the glass to cut it. And depending on how thick the glass is, uh, I use a lot of 3mm up to sort of 6mm. And and after I've made the score line, there's various ways of getting it to run and and to cut it, but quite often I'd turn it over and then press from the mm. other side of the score line. Right. Uh, but, yeah, the thinner the glass, the easier it is to mm. cut. And curves, the sort of the thicker the glass gets, the harder it is. A straight line's quite easy. A curve, you know, is is also can be problematic. Mm. So to cut out a circle, for example, you'd be making multiple cuts to get it to go all the way around because you have to go off to the edge a few times to get the circle to come out. And then I've got um, glazing pliers, which, you know, there's often bits kind of I need to snap off. Yeah, to tidy up. Mm. But also in in the kiln firing process, uh, I want things to go hot enough so that it will soften any of those rough edges. So I'm using the the tools as well as the procedure to get what I want. What you want, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. And what is it in the in the firing process? I mean, why is it that the heat makes such a beautiful soft edge? Uh, it's it's solely just the temperature. So uh, you know, the glass is sharp after you've cut it and the temperature of I'm firing specifically up to a certain temperature to where I know that that's going to round and soften the edge and be hot enough to sink in to the pattern or join the layers. Not always am I joining layers. If it's thinner, say the three mil glass, I'd be joining the layers I want. I don't want to see the two layers necessarily. Mm. I want that edge to be soft and rounded. Uh, yeah. 
Wow. It's such a big process, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you, um, when you when you came into that sort of more sculptural work, um, well, after that competition, what happened next? Uh, hmm, what happened next? I think I just carried on. Um, uh, for for many years, I made a range of the functional glassware, which just helped with my income. And as well as that, uh, I've always got multiple things on the go. I've got quite bad at having a procrastination pile and, uh, you know, like heaps of things on the go all at once and ideas forming for other things while I'm still doing another thing. And then what happens in the kiln sometimes leads to the next idea. And then, you know, sometimes I'll make things over and over until I feel like I've exhausted that in my mind you know what I mean mm. for or I'm sick of it and yeah. then I'll move on to you know and by that stage I've I mean I've got enough ideas in my head to last me forever yeah I can imagine and it takes a long time you know from that to a finished product takes a really long time glass is quite slow mm. in general for the heating up and the cooling down and the multiple firings and and you know some of the things I make now with the multiple pieces takes a you know a while to get enough bits mm. you know to create turn into something yeah I can imagine uh, and then you've got lots of sort of components within one piece often that need different processes yes, and yes exactly each materials. thing is handled Umpteen times. I've thought about that a lot, Mandy, actually. Sometimes when I've been constructing something, I've sort of looked at that one glass piece and thought, wow, this has been handled, you know, six times or mm. whatever. But just that one little bit of a bigger piece, yeah. you know, it's been in and out of the kiln twice, it's been cut, it's been washed, it's been drilled. And that's all the things before it's even been turned into a finished item mm, which is yeah. so amazing and it just kind of adds so much more value to your work yeah in a way you know the love that you've put into it and yeah. the time and the thought and um yeah all the steps of the process yeah I think so yeah which is so cool yeah so the sculptural work um well I mean really all of your work is sculptural even even the functional work is, is still sculpture I think but um did you start from from then kind of creating larger pieces or did your necklaces start then or uh, or do you even call them necklaces? Yeah, I do call them necklaces. I've, uh, yeah, the wall necklace has, has been an ongoing uh, title and evolving sculpture for many, many years and I think I'll be making wall necklaces probably for the rest of my life because <laughs> I love linking things together and mm. there's just so many options. And although the works have evolved in the, the shape of glass piece that I'm linking together, like I mentioned, the star shape, you know, I've done lots of star shaped things. The, the pieces that I'm making at the moment more so is like a tusk shape, glass tusk sort of shape. So, yeah. It's a big part of your practice, isn't it, the, the wall necklaces? Yeah, really. it is. Yeah. It is. And I think... Um, I, I guess now that I'm, you know, been making glass for such a long time, I think I'm known for the wall necklace mm. styled item, you know. Yeah. And you probably, you were quite a pioneer in that 
and that kind of work. I hope so. Yeah, you I definitely think it were. was, you know, I think it was quite an original concept. Mm. Um, and how do you feel when you see other people doing it? Yeah, it's all actually, it's quite hard. And, and I have noticed in recent, you know, recent years, uh, various artists have sort of flippantly, casually used the title Wool Necklace. And it's quite annoying because mm. I think that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. But basically, you know, you can't stop anybody else from threading things together. Uh, mm, uh, I one, have, though. yeah, I have actually sent a couple of emails out to s- explain that to. Uh, Good on you. Yeah, just because it's sort of, you know, and if you Google wool necklace, I come up because, yeah, anyway. Mm. It's competitive, uh, yeah. competitive world out there. Yeah, and yeah, it's such an interesting one. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but it would actually be interesting to to look into that for a podcast episode because it is a real thing that lots of artists experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really tough one, mm. and after you know being a maker for so many years, to see somebody just use that sort of title uh, is quite hard. Mm. And, I mean, your your glasswork is obviously, you know, so incredible and the process you, you take each component through is so amazing and you have so much experience and talent and knowledge. Um, I guess you get people sort of imitating it on a much lesser mm, artistic yeah, yeah, yeah. level. Yes, and the most recent uh, unpleasant experience of that was somebody creating – uh, a wool necklace out of glass pieces from overseas somewhere that, so they hadn't even made the glass you know yeah. and that's that's my whole thing is you know I've I've made the components for for the wool necklace you know I use I use a lot of different materials uh, as well to go to space in between the glass you know and I love that. And mm. and there's all sorts of materials I've used for that. Found objects, um, beads. I love beads, and all sorts of mm. things. So you At, add you add beads that you found. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. And I've also made you know pieces to put in between. Um, stuff. I used a lot of pumice at one stage to space out uh, the glass pieces, which I loved because you know it's a beautiful natural kind of thing. I've used a lot of copper to uh, include in, in the more sculptural pieces and I love copper a lot. I've got a huge love affair with copper mm. and I love that kind of material. I like to include things with the glass. Uh, I think right from the early days, the, the piece that I mentioned for the RFC um, glass prize with the flax linking it together, I think quite early on I've incorporated other materials, you know, with the glass. Obviously the glass making is my main technical focus mm. and is my, you know, uh, my thing. But bringing in other materials mm. is, is fun. Mm, I love that I idea. love plastic. I love natural materials. Mm. At the moment I've got two big bucketfuls of orange plastic round shapes Uh my partner's made a, a cool hanging sculpture out of a muscle boy and he's drilled holes in it and I've saved all of those bits, which is like mm-hmm. hard, durable, bright 
plastic or oh, I keep walking past them looking thinking oh what am I going to do with those yes, that's exciting <laughs> I love the sound yeah. of that the plastic with the glass would be beautiful yeah 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 so um just kind of going backwards slightly how would you actually describe the wall necklace and how it hangs on the wall well it is very much like a real necklace hence I think how that title kind of emerged is uh, I literally am threading things together like you would for a wearable necklace. Often, actually, I kind of hold it up to myself and think, oh, I could, you know, this is like a survivor immunity necklace. (laughs) I want to wear it. You need to talk to a survivor. (laughs) Often. There could be a job there. Yeah, often I've looked at the, (laughs) I I quite like that program, and I thought, God, I could make a way cooler one than that. Yeah, you should. Uh, Yeah, so literally a a lot of them I'm threading onto a stainless steel uh, wire which is like a fishing product uh, which is really strong, uh, doesn't rust and can hold a lot of weight plus looks neat and tidy mm. and you know you know, because I've, I've crimped in a loop at each end for the physical hanging on the wall uh, and, and basically the weight of the materials that I'm use, using makes it hang in that necklace kind of formation. Mm. And and the fixing points between, you know, each end can alter the piece a lot because of the curve. Mm. I'm all about the curve. Yeah, and the way uh, things yeah, hang. Yes, and, and for the way things hang. I get, and, and, you know, whenever my work goes out into the world, uh, I have a small little written instruction of, you know, hang 300 mils apart yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's really annoying. And quite often a gallery will not follow those instructions and they'll do something much wider, mm. which Better. then actually changes the yeah. look of the work considerably. Yeah. I like the curve a lot, hence the necklace type idea in my mind. So sometimes it's quite hard to see the work's being hung differently. Mm, mm. And do you actually approach gallery? Uh, I ch- yep, often I'll point things out. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it makes you look at it in a different way, which, you know, can be good. Mm. Uh, and, and more than once I've had to go, oh, my God, the whole thing's back to front. Oh, my God. Yeah, because there is... Uh, because of the quite two-dimensional process of the fusing, there is normally a sort of slightly textured side and a glossier side of the glass. And depending on the shape that I'm threading together, you know, there is a better side sometimes. Mm. Although some of the some of the ones I've been making more recently, the tusk shape can actually be reversible. It can kind of curve outwards or mm. inwards and, and creates quite a different thing with the shadows and what have you. And I must say, making the reversible thing is better in my mind because then people can hang it however they like yeah. or sometimes change it. Like in my workshop, you know, I'm I'm living with things, trialling different ideas and that sort of thing. So sometimes I'll walk past and put it round the other way just for a... Radical. Yeah. <laughs> to wow. see what that looks like and That's see if I like that better. And do you ever yeah. actually... Um, like it to be in an oval shape where it's all connected, or do you prefer I, that open I, curve? Yeah, good question, Mandy. I haven't often joined them into a full circle. I'm not quite sure why, really. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have made 
are a couple in more recent times that are threaded onto a stiffer um, metal kind of wire, which has held it in a circular shape as mm. opposed to the weight doing its thing. Uh, and that's that's been interesting to see it being held in a certain shape on the wall. Mm. Uh, I guess the sort of the falling aspect of the yeah. piece is, is quite different, isn't it, when it's mm. been forced into a shape? Yeah, I like the falling of it better, I think, yeah. than the actual the round kind of thing that I've tried lately. It, it's, it does a different thing, but I quite like the beauty of of it naturally hanging how it would fall mm. on the wall, if yeah. you get what I mean. Yeah, and I think that gives it a certain delicacy or it, it brings another element to the work in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever or have you ever made actual necklaces to be worn? Yes, I have. Yeah, I have. In the early days, again, I made I made quite a bit of wearable jewellery um, and – Maybe that's how the wall necklace thing happened. I'm not really sure. And they've just sort of got bigger and more kind of unwearable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Is it the size that you that you enjoy, do you think? You know, you don't want to work so small so it can be more? I like a mixture, really. I, I often, you know, my, my pieces are quite difficult in a lot of ways for transporting, uh, for curry, you know, trying to get things from one place to another. Um, yeah, packaging glass is a bit of a nightmare. I, I make difficult things. Mm. <laughs> Often in my mind I thought, God, I should have been a jeweller, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That would have been much easier. <laughs> uh, yeah. And do you pack when you're packaging, do you keep it as a one piece? And because that sort of assemblage is pretty yeah, important. You kind it? of have to because yeah. um people to would to be too else. overwhelmed to try and put anything mm. together. Yeah. I, I like to hand deliver <laughs> yeah. as much as possible. I've got I've got quite good at the courier packaging, I must say, but you know, there's always the odd time that things get broken, mm. and that can be, you know, devastating and expensive and annoying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I make a range of sizes. So, yeah, the bigger things are more, you know, ones that you want to just drive to where they've got to go. <laughs> yeah, totally. I can imagine it would be devastating. And do you ever think about, you know, changing from the curve and doing maybe like hanging straight down? Mm, yeah, I've done. I've done. Uh, that's what I would call a drop, just like a single line of, you know, glass hanging from one fixing point. I've done all sorts of things like that too, but I tend to still want to link things together. Uh, I've got one on the workbench at home now, actually, that's sort of five different shapes that is linked together that will just hang from one one fixing point at the top. And I like that challenge, uh, those diff- complementary and different coloured patterns and shapes that I can link. And again, it kind of it just mixes things up mm. for myself and for my customer, you know. Those long sort of drop works can fit in a small, you know, that little bit of wall in between doorways or, you know. And another thing I think, Mandy, that I've been conscious of from my for my whole career is I really want to make a variety of work that's accessible for everybody price-wise, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
I, I don't want anyone to not have something beautiful because they can't afford it, you know. So mm. I think that's another reason why I've made, you know, a whole range of stuff. You big know, things, big things, little things, things yeah. smaller things. Yeah. Um, and I've been really lucky that I've had a wonderful support of, you know, I've had some of the same customers for my whole career, you know, and now their kids are coming to buy things. That's and amazing. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the bigger things are more of the age group customer who can afford it, but I don't want that to be a barrier for, you know, cool mm, stuff. That's so nice. Yeah, that's very cool. But, I mean, it's amazing. It's a credit to you and your beautiful work that you have these customers for so long. So nice. Yeah. It's I, I had to work out the, you know, not so long ago I had to write something about myself, which was a little bit weird, and to work out how long I've been making glass for. And I've had, you know, some of my galleries right from the start still to now you know, and you create a really great relationship mm. for um, I'm, I'm really lucky that and, – and family and friends, you know, who need a wedding gift or a 60th birthday present or, a, you know, and, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Then that mm. balance of survival financially, you mm. know. Yeah, and you seem to – I mean, you are a well-known New Zealand artist, so you've obviously kind of found your place in, in New Zealand and – the New Zealand art world, I guess. And um, as we said, you know, you were working on those kind of pieces before other people. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, it's nice of you to say yeah. that. I still sort of feel surprised almost when, you know, people comment that I'm an established mm. um, artist. So great. Yeah, you know, good. You've achieved so much. It's incredible. And so just going back to some of the work that you make, obviously the wall necklaces makes up a, a part of your practice and the functional glassware is still happening, isn't it, on the side? Sure, yeah. But uh, you also do sort of larger sculptural pieces um, and, you know, garden installations and that kind of thing. Can you talk about that? Sure, yes. I have done a lot of outdoor works over the years uh, and I think those have sort of come about because of – uh, being involved in sculpture events, I've you know I've done sculpture on shore, the Women's Refuge fundraiser right from the beginning, and those commitments push you to you know think about glass in a different way because it's quite hard to display glass outdoors. It's a fragile you know medium that people can vandalise, and you know it's it's hard to s support glass from you know wind and elements and mm. that sort of thing. So there's a lot of challenges of creating glass for outdoors. And uh but that's that's been all part of the the process and those events have kind of made pushed me to think how to create outdoor sculpture and I've I've really loved doing that and met some wonderful people at those events and uh, you know, because it's, as I'm sure a lot of your interview people will say, it's quite an isolating mm. uh, job, you know, just working on your own at home. So to be part of an outdoor event uh, with your contemporary people who are in all different mediums, you know, it's quite inspiring and and makes you kind of, you know, you want to keep up. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it gives you that sort of, 
direction, I guess, and kind of a deadline, which yes, can be good. Yes, oh, I need a deadline. Yeah. Otherwise, I've got a million things on the go and nothing actually finished. Yeah. <laughs> the procrastination pile again springs to mind. It gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah it must be hard. So what, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what materials do you use with glass when you do the outdoor in, the, in my earlier days, I did a lot of concrete. Uh, before I had children, I, I had I made a lot of concrete bases and things to support uh, glass bowls for the outdoors. You know, to hold water and that sort of thing. And I loved I loved the concrete. It, it created you know a durable, sturdy you know uh, product to for it. You know, New Zealand has very harsh climate for things outdoors, and plus it was it was affordable. Mm. As well, mm. but hard work mixing concrete and wheelbarrow, which I did for years, uh, and but sort of needed consecutive working days for because I would have the concrete in a lot of different moulds and shapes and stuff. And then once I had children, it kind of it was all the too hard to try and mm. mix concrete with a toddler or yeah. a baby on your hip. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And did so, you, um, yeah. sorry, did you actually make moulds yourself as well? Yeah, I used a lot of plastic containers um, that oh. I'd find at various, you know, $2 shops and stuff, just cool different shapes. And again, was inspired by using that multiple shape uh, repetitively mm. to stack into a totem type thing with glass pieces interspersed. Yeah. And had a lot of fun with that. And but again, you know, technical challenges for supporting mm. heavy things that yeah. uh, you know, with the glass interspersed, so weight is always an issue. And how do you um, actually stack it? Yeah, well I, I used a lot of steel pipes and made, you know, like really heavy concrete base to anchor anchor it to begin with. And then uh, for quite a few years I used a lightweight concrete sort of stuff that I created the different shapes with which wasn't as heavy for the rest of the sculpture and then glass pieces sort of interspersed. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, again, that multiple shape and size and linking together, even though it certainly wasn't a necklace-type format, it was this, you know, yeah. well, that's a kind of a standalone. Yeah, I it? sort of, of haven't realised the comparison between yeah. the two, maybe. And the concrete and the glass is such a beautiful contrast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I sold a lot of concrete and glass sculptures in the in in that era. I have quite a few pieces of those still in my own garden. And in more recent outdoor pieces, uh, I made for for one of the sculpture on shore events. I made a whole lot of glass, quite small bowl shapes that I put on stainless steel rod that poked into the ground. And that was really successful for me, that uh, that particular push to create that. It was sort of like an installation, mm. although they were sold separately. It was called Sea of Bowls. I'm 100% sure what year that was, but might have been 2016 or something like that. Mm. And then I've been making those ever since, and they've got better and better and... What do you mean better? Um, well, better as far as shape and kind of pattern and just getting my head around the construction of those and the visual of, yeah, the shapes and sizes. And they look really cool as a group. So they've been quite good financially because 
people have been adding to their water mm. bowl collection. You know, yeah. one on its own's not that impressive in a garden, but you know, a whole group can actually look beautiful and they hold water if you want them to or not. Yeah, so beautiful. And different heights, different shapes, and they can go quite close together. And they're easy to move, mm. you know, and clean and that sort of thing. Oh, that's so, so beautiful. I love, yeah. I love that kind of installation work. Yeah. You know, there's so many elements to it. It's not just the object, it's the spaces in between and yes. how it interacts with what's around it. And Absolutely. I just love that sort of thing. And so will you, do you ever sort of get ideas for design for actual installation for a certain place? Yes. Well, you see, that's what Sculpture on Shore was all about too, really, um, is you, you really have to think about the location just as much as the artwork. Mm. Uh, Do you get an actual spot for that show? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a people, wonderful people like Anna Hansen, who, uh, who kn- knows who we love and, you know, knew my work really well. Uh, often, you know, like I actually went to the site before I put my application in, and photographed a couple of spots that I would ideally like. Nice. <laughs> no guarantees that you'll get that spot, of course. But you've kind of got to, in your mind, have the spot mm. to kind of know how the work will will sit, you know. And there's a lot of criteria for an event like that. You're not allowed, you know, they have heaps of rules for safety, and uh, you're not allowed to attack. Because I always want to attach things to, you know, bolt things to a building. <laughs> You're not allowed to it for Fort Takapuna. Right. Lots of rules. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's all heaps of considerations mm. when it comes to outdoor works for uh, pages of paperwork of, you know, engineering things. If you go over a certain height and weight and I, I, I'm not very good at that sort of thing. So I'm, you know, I'm quite practical. Mm. So... I, you know, I was brought up with uh, use what you've got and yeah. make it work. Yeah. So I think that's something that has been a focus in my business the whole time. And one of the reasons why I cho- chose fusing, because it was it was a way of making glass that one person can do, you know, with minimal equipment, mm. basically. That was quite a big consideration early on because I had no money, yeah. you know, to set up a workshop, and I borrowed money off my parents to buy my second kiln, so I've actually got two electric kilns, and it's it's awesome. I can have one heating up while one's cooling down, and I've always got, you know, mm. something to do the whole way, and there's not a lot of hand finishing. Uh, I, I'm a bit scared of some of the big machines and stuff that, the you know, like the glass casters have to cut off bits and do all sorts of scary stuff Uh, and over time my business has evolved and and my partner he's uh, turned into the chief hole driller yes I wanted to ask you about that (laughs) your handy guy Peter (laughs) yeah Peter he's getting more and more involved in in my uh, my art making and Quite a few years ago now, we stumbled across, uh, he's originally an aluminium joinery glazing guy. and he Yeah, quite handy. He's very (laughs) handy. Did you actually meet through your glass? No, no. Uh, But he's, you know, he's had that job for, for most of our relationship of 26 years. 
and and well yeah in <laughs> in fairly recent times maybe uh we were drilling holes to create the sea of bowls at sculpture on shore so yeah six or eight years ago maybe we bought a hole drilling machine which I was thinking, oh God, you know, I'm a bit scared. I've, it's quite hard to drill a hole in glass. It's it's not just like drilling into wood or anything. You have to have a water-fed uh, thing and a diamond-tipped drill bit, which is, you know, it's and a lot of you're putting pressure on on the glass, which of course there's a lot of risk involved. Uh, things can crack mm. and move and kind of pull out of your hand yeah. and it's quite slow, you know, you have to go quite slowly. And I guess it and relies a lot on sort of the right amount of pressure, yes, the right speed. totally, yes, it's it does. Crucial. And it can chip and sort of, you know, there's a good hole or there's a chipped kind of ugly hole, mm. <laughs> you know, and Peter has mastered the art of hole drilling and we now have, you know, a range of, you know, five or six hole sizes that we can use for various various things. And and I've also kind of developed drilling the hole at a certain stage and then that can go back in the kiln and soften that mm. hole drilled kind of because it creates a sharp edge, you know, which sometimes is fine depending on the item, but Often I've put it back through the kiln process to soften the edge of that hole and sort of fire polish as a term. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. And has that changed the way you work now that you can actually drill holes? It totally has changed. It, it's It's given me a different way of thinking because, like I said earlier, with the star shape, I had to create the hole during the process, so I was laying those four points of the star in the kiln to create that hole, which you don't have a huge amount of control over. So, you know, you'd it's very difficult to do that process and create a certain size that's even and centred, etc. So now to be able to drill a hole wherever I want one, has has certainly opened up a different way of thinking mm. and has created a lot more options for hanging work and linking work together mm. because, of course, I need a hole yeah. to do all of those things. Yeah, sounds brilliant. Yeah. And so nice that you can be collaborating with your partner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, he's, he's done lots of things to help me. Uh, he's also very good at construction and a lot of the big outdoor pieces we've made over the years, uh, he's been the muscle and the, uh, you know, and the thinking of construction and, you know, safety and, and even when it comes to like digging a footing and, you know, or any metal, we, you know, we've used, for the water bowls, for example, we use a lot of stainless steel tube and solid rod as as part of those components and it's quite an unpleasant job cutting all that stainless steel up mm, yeah it's dusty and stinky and so he does all that yeah and so he's good. got all the tools for that sort of thing as well yeah and he's a good problem solver I've got lots of ideas and I'm often sort of presenting an idea and he'll sort of just walk away but come back <laughs> and to be quite helpful. Yeah, well, I've got a husband like that too. He's very practical and yeah, um, 
Yeah, I'm more of an ideas person and he's the how-to yes. kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great and I love that. Absolutely, and I think sometimes, you know, a man's brain works differently and and they can come up with something that you, you wouldn't have, you know, mm. even thought of. Mm. Which is so great. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So um, is there any, any other part of your practice that we haven't touched on? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. That's all the making and, yeah, just the electric kiln and the sheet glass. Mm, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, I really didn't know what fusing and slumping was before our no. conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's really it's not a... Uh, it's not a medium that has happened a lot in New Zealand. I mean, the glass blowers get all the glory, really, mm. because it's you know way more rock star status to be in a around a hot furnace blowing amazing things, and you know, but that that's a and that's a huge skill. But it's more of a group activity. Yeah, you know, yeah. you'd need more than one person that's to right. to blow glass. And like I said before, I think the fusing really sort of ticked a lot of boxes for me for lots of different reasons. But knowing that I could do that as a person on my own yeah. was appealed because yeah. I didn't have to rely on anybody else. That's right. You don't have to wait, send stuff didn't away. Didn't have to wait, uh, yeah. you know, and the setup as well was minimal as far as, you know, money mm. and commitment was concerned. Mm. But there's so much potential for what you can actually so create. So much potential. Oh, my yeah. God. I feel like I want to do, <laughs> I need to do some of this work. So, so much potential. You know, it's exciting. Yeah. I love my job so much. Oh, I can see and, your enthusiasm. Uh, yeah, and it's always, always ticking, ticking, tick, tick, tick in my mind of mm. like, oh, what's what's next? And so I love opening the kiln. And, and that's what I want to do most, you know, is actually just make glasswork. It's uh, all those other hats that you have to wear all the time for selling your product and mm. Uh, making a living and all the business aspects of stuff. I'm quite good at making things, but I'm not particularly good at all the other stuff. Mm, yeah, well, that's the whole other part, isn't it? That not a lot of artists aren't that interested in, but it's a necessary part of the yeah. of the job. Yes, and it's a time-consuming yeah. part of the yeah. part of the job too. And things are getting more and more sort of computer-focused, which is quite challenging for me as well. Mm. I've I haven't applied for many. Uh, events and sort of competitions and things in recent years because it's just too stressful for me to navigate the computer aspect of images and submissions and I've sort of chosen to back off from that a little bit and just be my own boss and make mm. what I want and have a less stressful time mm, yeah <laughs> you know which is good and it's good that you've made that decision you know. yeah it's this less pressure on yourself I That's think right. you know I, I wanted like I said you I want to be a serious contemporary artist uh which does involve you know like a lot of my colleagues present things to the new glass review and still you know do a lot of grant applications and things like that but uh, yeah, I'm not so good at that sort of thing, and I've got enough to do anyway mm, mm. that I'm happy with. Yeah. So, and that motivates you and sort of fills yeah. your creative cup, and you know, fills yeah. your day. And absolutely, you know, that's yeah. enough. And then you've got your um, what's four galleries that you sell your work mm, in. Mm. So um, that would keep you busy. Keeping absolutely, them yeah, yeah. So and that's um, next door gallery and Kinner. 
New Zealand Design and Art Space. Yes. And then Black Door Gallery and Burning Issues Gallery, yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I've had, you know, I've had those galleries for many, many years. And it's it's awesome. They know my work and, uh, you know, are really supportive and just are open to see what I might bring in next, mm. which is also quite good, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I get a bit bogged down with if people want certain sizes or colours and shapes and I'll follow up with a few sort of requests but sometimes I ignore all that as well and just (laughs) (laughs) you know I do a mixture you know sometimes I'm happy to do yeah uh you know I, I made a lot of glass fish shapes that were on a concrete and copper stand for outs outdoors in the early days I made heaps of them and sold them all over the place and I get requests all the time still I haven't made these glass fish for probably at least five years now at least probably longer and I get phone calls out of the blue all the time of oh my you know neighbours kicked a ball at the glass fish that I've had for 15 years that has been in pride of place forever I really want to replace it (laughs) and do you actually do you ever say no yep (laughs) I've started saying no to fish making now I've got better at saying no and you know for career wise I'm not as desperate for the trying to make a living Mm. you know Mm. so you're generating more yeah you're Figuring out the road that you yeah, want to go down absolutely. a bit more, which is a good position to be in. That's right, and yeah. and you know one of the benefits of being your own boss. Yeah, and also all your hard work over yes. thirty years. Yes, you know you've you've earned it. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, <laughs> for sure. And so, what does your? It would be good to talk about your studio in a second as well. But um, what does your average day, work day, look like? Oh, um, I love working from home and. Goodness, all these lockdowns and stuff we've had to navigate uh, certainly kicked in that uh, thankfulness. Uh, I don't have to contend with Auckland traffic and uh, I've got two children so the day starts with getting them all sorted for school and then sort of by nine o'clock, you know, coffee time and then head down to the workshop and... Normally, my first thing would be like, oh, can I open the kiln, depending on the temperature, check out what's been happening there. And I normally try and start with something fun, <laughs> like opening the kiln. Uh, that would be fun. Yeah. It'd be like Christmas. I yeah, imagine. because it's kind of, you've got to, it's a little bit like baking, you know. It's like I've got to set up everything on those three shelves in the kiln and then I'm shutting the door and, you know, the programme will kick in and it's quite long-winded, so it'll go, you know, it basically takes two days for that firing to go from start to finish and be cool enough to open the kiln. So, yeah, I'll have a sneak sneak preview of what's been happening in there and uh, then I might do some emails and stuff just to kind of, you know, get the ball rolling <laughs> and try and clear, yeah, I'm forever trying to clear a space on my workbench, even though I've got a wonderful big area and I've taken over the majority of the house. Uh, so, yeah, just making, creating, kiln loading, uh, checking out the list of who wants what mm. and any deadlines for events or, you know, priority queue shall we say, for what has to happen. sorting out your different piles. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I try to sort of, in my mind, for survival financially, I I normally try and get something out into the world every week. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, That's a good goal. Yeah, just something has to go out into the world every week. And that's not always, you know, uh, the week can whip on by. Mm. But in general, that's sort of how I roll for things being delivered or Mm. uh, put on the courier or what have you. And, yeah, just juggling the requests of the galleries, what's happening, you know, where. And with the lockdowns and stuff, it's all been a bit weird because Mm. of Auckland not being out in the rest of New Zealand has felt yeah. that. Uh, so the galleries have all been, it's all been quite interesting to see how it's all all panning out. Mm, yeah, mm. it hasn't been an easy time for No, artists. no, but I've been grateful to be able to just, actually for me, I could carry on fairly normally because of working from home. Mm. Uh, just having the kids not at school was, you know, makes it a bit noisier and... Uh, having people around as opposed to being home alone. Mm. So is your studio part of your home? Yeah, I have downstairs. Right. Uh, I have a wonderful space. I have a big uh, big studio where the two kilns are and a bathroom and an office and a sort of garage-y kind of space from there where in the garage is the glass rack and the whole drilling machine. Mm. And we've got a sandblaster as well, which is a fairly new uh, thing that also uh, Peter has been in charge of. He put a sandblaster together and I was thinking, oh, I don't think I need to sandblast anything. <laughs> but actually, yeah, yeah, start this, with the machine and then yeah, you know, your yeah, ideas start yes. to come. And the sandblaster's been actually mm. quite cool. It can create... You know, that sort of sea glass mm, texture. I love that. Uh, yeah, which can be quite subtle. And uh, depending on the glass that I've been using, some of the some of the recycled sort of secondhand sheets that I've been using, often there'll be uh, marks or you never quite know how the surface may come out in the firing. So a sandblast can kind of even things out mm. in a nice way. Soften, yeah, sort of really soften, softens. which which has actually been another sort of layer mm. to it's consider. Like, it's like the glass that you see at the beach, you just want to yeah, touch it. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful effect. Um, and you actually, just going back to your glass, do you actually buy recycled, I mean, how, how do you buy the glass? Or how uh, I buy sheet glass, it? yep. I buy sheet glass uh, of various descriptions. Uh that I just get delivered from a glass company. So it's just normal, normal yeah, glass? Yeah, normal window. I use quite a bit of uh, window glass, uh, just clear clear window glass that I can layer. And I, there's sort of a couple of colours. I have a green that is also a type of window glass, basically. Uh, and there sometimes I can get a blue from the same uh, company. It sort of keeps changing, though, mm. over the years uh, there's a lot of laminate and safety glass and for what's actually going into buildings, you know, windows and doors and things, things have changed significantly over my glass making uh, life. So a lot of the recycled stuff that I used to acquire from Peter's co- contacts of, you know, aluminium joinery and glazing, a lot of his workmates would know, oh, well, Jenny might like that. Mm, that's brilliant. And drop off a weird... Such a good connection. Yeah, exactly. And I'd swap a box of beer for, a, <laughs> you know, whatever might turn up. Or, you know, when they're working on big building sites, if something's cut wrong or a corner's chipped off, it all just goes in the bin, mm. you know. So I love that I've embraced that aspect more so 
in recent times. You know, I used to, I think I used to be not embarrassed, but I used to be sort of I didn't necessarily be as vocal about using the recycled glass. I'm not sure why now looking back, but now it's like I'm actually proud mm. to think that that's been saved from landfill. Yeah, I have a lot totally. of environmental guilt no, in my life of, yeah. you know, I, I like to reuse and mm. repurpose way more than ever. Yeah. And I think that's quite an important uh, aspect, actually, yeah. of how my business has developed over the years. I've, uh, you know, I use my material right down to that's another hoarding problem I've got <laughs> all the offcuts and yeah. uh, you know and I've developed ideas to use every bit of that material especially materials that I've bought because it's really expensive mm. and the glass cost is just kept on increasing yeah, you know it, buying a sheet of glass costs a lot of money yeah. and I for financial reasons as well as environmental reasons I want to use every bit of that and you that's know? so great and I think your customers or people who you know appreciate your work would that would be another aspect that they that they value yeah I hope that you're so recycling yeah. materials it's so good and I think it has changed society's view of recycling you know in the, mm. 30 years ago it was like oh it's a bit cheap and nasty yeah but yeah. now it's it's I think it's more so important in mm. a way. Yeah, it's great. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up. <laughs> I think I have to. I've said it before. I have to make like two hour podcast because I could keep talking to you for ages, much longer. But um, you know, I guess people are finishing their walks after an hour. <laughs> yeah, finishing their little drives to wherever they're heading. So we will um, wrap it up. I just like to know, um, Jenny. What advice you have for people starting out on their creative journey or people who are partway through and are lacking um, inspiration? Have you got a pearl of wisdom or oh, two? Pearl of wisdom, wow. Uh, just keep going. Work hard, you know. Put the time in and, and, and pull in, you know, people around you and, you know, get that part-time job that, might suck at the time, but actually frees you up for what you really want to do. Make the choices to, you know, make the choices to make it happen. It's and and you know another thing about my job, it's I know I'm never going to be a millionaire, but it's a lifestyle. You know, it's something that can fit in around your children and your life in general because life's busy outside of work mode. You know, yeah. Being an artist is cool. Yeah, and you can see your absolute passion that you have for it. It's so much so that, like I said, I feel like going to make some glass work now, <laughs> which is pretty weird because I know nothing about glass. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's fascinating to hear your process um, and so much learning for me personally. It's been really super interesting talking to you. And um, as I said, I've, I've always loved your wall necklaces, something about them I've always been drawn to. And uh, I think I need to go and purchase one now <laughs> if I have room on my walls. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't look like you've got much room, I haven't Mandy. got a lot of space, but I'm sure I can figure it out. So uh, it's been a pleasure meeting you, Jenny. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to seeing all the amazing things that you get up to over the next 30 years. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank you.